Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Uh, another, I have another awesome guest today. I think you guys are really going to like this. I have with me Vaughn Brashford. Um, today we're going to be talking about time slips and time shifts, time travel, past lives, ghosts, the Theosophical Society, who Madame Blavatsky was, and manifesting your own reality. So I know that's a lot. We're going to try to fit it all into one hour, but this guest is amazing, and I don't get a chance to talk to people. Well, I get, you guys know I get a chance to talk to people about this stuff all the time, but I really want to pick his brain on this stuff. Now, let me tell you about the author I have with me a little bit. His name's Ron Brasher, as I said. He's the author of a dozen books on de developing consciousness and spiritual evolution. His book right here, the one I have, called Time Shifts, that's the one that we're going to, mostly going to be talking about today. But he also has a book coming out next week called Manifesting. He's written about dreams, ghosts, energy healing, our psychic and spiritual connection to pets, life transition, and time. He has, in fact, written four books on time and time travel. And as I said, the newest one being Time Shifts, so focus on our book today. Vaughn is a former award-winning journalist in the Pacific Northwest. He has served on the faculty of Omega Institute for Holistic Studies in Rhinebeck, New York, and served as a staff of the Theosophical Society's National Headquarters in Wheaton, Illinois. He's led workshops throughout the United States and the United Kingdom. He lives and works on a small rustic island in the San Juans off the coast of Washington State. Now, before we get into this, I want you guys to remember, hit the like button. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe, you know, and leave comments. And, you know, we're all here to learn. So make friends with the people in the comments section. And finally, Vaughn, thank you for joining me. How are you? Thank you very much. Welcome to all your guests. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation. Now, this topic of time shifts, I think it's really fascinating. I read a little bit of the book, which gives true accounts of people who've had these time shifts or time slips. But for my audience who might not be familiar with what you're talking about, can you explain to them what these time slips and time shifts are? Yeah, I think a lot of people actually have had time slips where they'll be walking along. Very typically, it'll be like toward the end of the day. Uh, it'll be maybe around dusk or late afternoon. It might be in the late summer or the early fall. And they're very, very quiet and they're very alone. And they're very introspective. They're very much into themselves. They're very quiet. And at that moment, they take one step and then they take one more step and then they find themselves in a totally different time and place. This is very common. It's very disorienting for a lot of people. And a lot of times they'll write it off as a daydream, a vision, a delusion. And they won't talk about it because it sounds so outlandish and they imagine it was just something purely imaginary in their head and not real. But these things are real. Some people have actually learned to control these things. And, and to them, I, 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 I say it's more less of a slip and more of a time shift where they're actually programming an out-of-body um, time travel. And, and there are many examples of people uh, throughout uh, history who have uh, experienced and actually their cases have been well documented. And there are some that, that I describe in the book that are quite famous and pretty hard to discredit because they happened with more than one person and they were uh, verified, they were studied, they're a matter of public record. Uh, the things they saw were, were uh, collaborated. Um, things that they saw out of time and out of place were later uh, judged to be accurate, although not known to them at the time. And um, then, then we have examples of people, groups of people that seem very, very good at this, you know, like shamans with dream visions or dream quests. We have the dream walkers, we have the spirit walkers, we have the samadhi mystics, uh, the yoga masters, bodhisattvas that can actually program um, time travel. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. So if you had to say, like, what, why do you think these are happening? And then, like I said, you said it has to do with time travel. And then even do you think this is what causes the Mandela effect to go even deeper? And how do you think they're all connected? So I guess that's a, a two-part question, I guess. How do you think these time slips are happening? 
And then does it have to do with time travel and the Mandela effect? Well, the Mandela effect, I, I'd like to put that to the side for a moment, because I do believe in group consciousness and the ability of groups to, to change reality uh, through creative visualization and, and our joint uh, group thought, let's say. I get into that with the new book, Manifesting. And that could in fact be the case with the Mandela effect. It, it is very possible that collectively we can change reality. But on the other hand, I think something like the Mandela effect is pretty easy to kind of put off to the side as like, uh, I won't say urban legend, but it's like misconception. You know, there are, there's a lot of studies actually. I mean, I'm kind of a student of communication and I know that a lot of people remember songs um, wrong and they remember them wrong in the same way. That doesn't mean that we've rewritten the songs. They've rewritten the songs. Uh, a lot of people will, will forget the way things look. They'll even forget like famous logos or, or, or things that they've seen on television and they collectively remember them in a different way. So I think that looking back at how I thought of the Mandela effect, if we can kind of put that to the side for a moment, um, I, I remember Nelson Mandela was, was um, an enemy of the state. He was a political rival. He was um, imprisoned for a long time. He was very ill and it was reported that he was going to be in prison the rest of his life and that he was probably gonna die in prison. And we forgot about Nelson Mandela. And then lo and behold, he comes out of prison. Everybody thought he was dead. Well, I thought he was dead because I was told he was gonna die in prison. And I was told that he was never gonna get out. And I, I was told that he was quite ill. And also, if you look back, there was another uh, African leader at that time, I forget his name, who, who did die uh, earlier. And so there was some confusion. So I think we get these things kind of confused in our heads sometimes, but sometimes, you know, it's a matter of actually changing the reality in front of us. Now, as to how, why, we, why we time travel, I, 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 I think there's two reasons. Sometimes there are conditions that are just right and it just happens to us, but it doesn't just happen to us. There is something inside us, uh, an inner spirit that longs to get outside of us and explore. It knows that it's imprisoned inside of us. It is our consciousness. And this is the theosophist in me speaking, the student of Madame Blavatsky. I think that we're all driven and propelled by consciousness. Consciousness is a universal. It is present in all of life. It is present in us. It is the part of us that's eternal. It is the part of us, if you will, that is our spirit, our soul, our eternal life flame. It is light. It is energy. It is intelligent energy. So I think that there's a part of us that wants to get out. And there are times when it just is kind of like tripped out or tri triggered out. These are, I think these can be uh, examined by looking at conditions of the time, the day, uh, one's altered state of consciousness. Most importantly, there are a, the cases of uh, 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 energy vortexes in the earth, magnetic disturbances in certain places. I live near a, a one, I've lived at another one, and I know that these are, are real triggers. And, and, and I think that there are fault lines and there are ley lines in the earth. In other words, energy, um, energy disturbances, if you will, or energy, uh, energy anomalies, let's say. And, they, and they, will, they will trip it. So these things sometimes are accidental and sometimes they've just got to happen. Yeah, and I was just thinking about it. When you think about the, the whole theory of time itself, like, you know, when we think deep about it, we always like to say that time may not be linear. And some people say that, you know, time is happening past the future and the present are all happening at once it's just we have a linear way of thinking about time i mean what are your thoughts on this and then how do you think that relates in the past lives like well yeah time isn't linear not not in the way that we think of it you know and and uh nothing is linear in the way we think of it really creation goes in circles it circles within circles concentric circles 
you know, there's like, there's like uh, uh, cycles and periods of, of, of things happening with and completion, a completion of a circle. Um, there is um, all, 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 all of this idea of thinking of, of time or anything is linear is really dependent on the limited way we see the world physically uh, in the here and now. You know, as physical beings, we are, we, we tend to think of things linear be, as linear because, because it's comfortable for us to think of things as a starting point, a midpoint and a completion, but nothing is ever complete. The circle forms and then another circle forms and then another circle forms, circles within circles. So you say, well, you know, why do we think in linear forms? Well, look, think of this, we're three dimensional beings. For us, there's side to side, up and down in some concept, some vague concept of depth, a depth perception, which I, I say most of us are two dimensional thinkers. And I think for good reason. Um, then then we, we're limited by our five physical senses. This is all we see. We don't have the best eyes. We can only see, perceive seven distinct colors. We call that the rainbow effect. And that's all we see. So we see like the aura, we see the same rainbow seven colors. We say that's all we are, but it's not all we are. It's all we see. So, you know, it's a matter of, as I say in the new book, Manifesting, it's a matter of, as I say in the Bible, learning to hear with new ears and see with new eyes. We must learn to control our inner um, depths of resource, our inner spirit, our our consciousness with, with a new sense of awareness, with new eyes and new ears. And so time is, is looped. Time, in fact, is occurring constantly. The past is still occurring. It's comforting to me to think that um, my little boy, who's now quite old and has children of his own, is still a little boy, and I'm still back there bicycling with him. That's still happening. You know, I'm, I'm however, here focused, focusing my physical perception on a specific time and place. So that's all I'm experiencing on a physical level. But the rest of it is happening. The future is happening. It's happening uh, with a certainty. And, and we'll catch up to it. You know, but we're focused only on the here and now, because this is where our, our perception allows us to focus our attention. We see nothing more than what our physical eyes and ears will behold. Do you, I mean, what are your thoughts on the, the, the feeling of what makes time travel possible? Like, I mean, and there, there's two ways of thinking about time travel. Like, you know, we can think about it as people having out-of-body experiences and astral experiences and seeing their future or past. So uh, a, a human soul you know, going into the past or going into the future. And then you have reports of like possibly the government having a time travel machine or they have something maybe called the yellow cube. I don't know if you've ever heard these um, uh, stories. It's a conspiracy where they can look into the, they have, they can look into this device and look into the future and the, and the past. So what are your thoughts on time travel in both of these ways? And do you see it as being this as being a thing like, as possible. Well, it, it's not a device. There's, there's really not a yellow cube. You know, there's, there's not a DeLorean that'll take you there or a time machine. That's funny. Or, or a phone book, a booth you can jump into and, and go into the past or the future. Like It's like fun to think about, about these things it's, though, right? It's fun, it's fun to think about. I mean, I, I worked for a man at a publishing house that was convinced there would be some brain machine that could allow you to travel. This is not a physical, this is not a physical adventure. This is an adventure outside the physical realm. In a sense, it's very close to what people commonly think of astral projection or more accurately, astral travel. Except that when we travel in this sense, in time travel, we're traveling with more than just astrally. We're traveling with more than that. We're traveling with everything except our physical body. We're traveling with all of our subtle energy bodies, fully, fully aware, fully armored, 
so that we were very perceptive um, with our new consciousness. We're traveling in a mental body. We're traveling in a, an etheric body. We're traveling in a causal body with full of intent and awareness. And we're traveling in an emotional body and we're traveling in spiritual bodies. So as far as the government and all of that, absolutely this is happening. There are people in the government in, in uh, special operations, the so-called black ops. I've met one of them, spoken with them extensively. Now, is this, uh, you talking about remote viewing or, or is that a form of time? That's not a form of time. That's just a way of seeing like, uh, well, I guess you could go into the future and pass with remote viewing, in, right? In, in remote viewing, you can go beyond the physical here and now where you are. You can go actually forward or backward in time. Those who are involved in the, in the Black Ops program, they do amazing things. Um, and they're able to see, uh, I, first of all, as far as like separating time and space, you really can't separate time and space. I mean, Einstein made that very, very clear. Space time is one. So if you change your space, you change your time. If you change your time, you change your space. They're interlocked. You cannot have one without the other. So when you're, when you're going to another place, you're going to another time, you're going to another time, you're going to another place. And I understand that people are bilocating all the time. And this, this too is very similar to, to what we would call time travel. It is, it is actually stepping outside your physical body and moving somewhere in a consciousness body. And you can do that with either remote viewing. And you were saying you actually met someone from the government that was doing this, like. Oh yeah, yeah. So he, he we found out. Well, he did a lot of things, you know, with the government. And the government is, is, is long, toyed with the idea that they could they could see things on a radar scope, and then they could they could send someone to take them off the scope. That is to say, if they were not on the scope, they didn't exist. So they could make a whole fleet disappear. They could make missiles in air disappear. You know, and is it's that like what they first did with the Philadelphia experiment. Do you remember? The, what, uh, well, once again, like the Mandela experiment um, uh, experience, the Philadelphia, yeah, the the uh, the the Philadelphia experiment has been been a cultural uh, icon for so long. It's like an urban legend. The Philadelphia uh, ship that was actually involved in the government uh, uh, super experiments was actually a ship that was tied up next to the Philadelphia. And it actually, they had, it, it's, it, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've watched Star Trek, it's kind of like cloaking. They were actually figuring out how to make the ship appear to be invisible. Yeah. That was what the experiment was. And then and then uh, apparently it worked. And then and then and then they tried to like, you know, disclose what had happened. And of course this is a hush hush top government secret. So it, it began being reported that the the Philadelphia experiment involved this other ship that had done remarkable things. But actually it was the it was the government making it appear invisible. Well, uh, making something appear invisible is really quite, quite similar to what to what we're talking about. There's a little, there's a little book, by the way, by a man in England, wrote a book on invisibility. It is a very dense. It's a very thin book, but it is very cryptic. And if you mm -hmm. really, you really understand deep magical yoga, you might get something out of this book. It involves looking at something so long that it disappears. And that's amazing. How do you even do that? Like I couldn't begin to explain it in this hour. <laughs> it's deep meditation, right? I mean, it is. Okay. The, the closest uh, I could get to steering people into understanding this is there's a book called the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. It's a classic. And it essentially, it's essentially a book on Raja Yoga, Raja Yoga, which is the highest form of wisdom yoga is also known as consciousness yoga. That's exactly what we're talking about here is consciousness yoga. In, in, in the Yoga Sutras, the first part of the book, it's in three parts. The first part kind of like outlines 
you know, the idea of yoga, preparing the body, the physical body with various postures, uh, uh, becoming aware of the union, uh, getting one aligned, uh, you know, in terms of, of, of unity of all creation. The second part is on mysticism. The third part of interest to us here is on magic. If you, uh, if you study the third part of the Yoga Sutras, you will understand invisibility. Well, I, I've, 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 I've looked into magic a lot, and if I'm, I'm very interested in magic. There used to be, I used to listen to the Art Bell Show a lot, you know, and there was a lady who came on there. She was a parapsychologist. She, she passed away, unfortunately. Her name was Evelyn Paglini. She was very into consciousness, and she was also into, you know, magic. And she called herself like what, what would be a, a Genesean witch or, you know, like some form of, um, which is also called the, um, uh, I'm trying to think what they call it, but they call it, it just, which is in Italy. There's a name for them. Um, what's that? Strega. Yes. Yeah, she was a Strega. That's what she, she was her particular form of witchcraft, Strega. But what she got into was what was really interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard of this was scrying where you get a uh, mirror and it basically has two coats of uh, enamel on it. And then you get into a certain form of meditation That's and it. you look, you look into this mirror for like the past, present or future, or, you know, it's another form of time travel. What would you, have you heard of this? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is what we're talking about when you talk about invisibility or, or these, you know, the third part of Yoga Sutra. This is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about gazing, and we're talking about looking at something. In 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 higher yoga, um, the student is taught to gaze at something until he sees and and senses only that, and then ultimately you're taught to gaze at something until it disappears, and then only then, only then do you understand the temporal nature of physical reality that it never really was there you see what i mean i'm caught up i'm caught up a little bit i'm a little bit dumb on this question okay okay, okay. so so it, it never was there because because what we see in this physical world is a world of illusion yeah all we're all we're seeing is light reflecting off objects i'm not looking at you and you're not looking at me you're looking at a light reflection of basically a physical like a hologram well it's an outer manifestation of who i am and it is only like a, an encasement of who i am i mean it, it's like we're hermit crabs we walk around until we outgrow our shell and we find another shell but the crab inside the shell never changes that is who we really are that is in terms of theosophy the true self the inner self the eternal self the eternal uh, life form. That's what I was going to ask you about. The next was Madame, because I've heard of Madame Blavatsky. I've heard her talk about like the original races that they were, I don't know if they were alien that like, came to this planet and they, they, were, they were called the boneless ones or something like that I've heard about. I mean, was, yeah. that, was that her who talked about something like that? Who, and, well, then there, and then there were different races of creation that created the universe or, or the earth or is that... I'm, I don't know much about the Madame Pogolaski or the Theosophical Society. That's what I'm so glad I have you on here. I, I'd love to know, know about it. Besides, well, I don't want to know about the consciousness aspect, but all the, the different interesting stuff that you would that know about her as well. Well, she's famous for a number of things. And the most, the biggest thing she's famous for is a book called The Secret Doctrine. The Secret Doctrine is basically a two-part book. The first book is a cosmogenesis. Cosmogenesis is part one of the secret doctrine, and it looks at the nature of creation, how we got here. Who are we? You know, what's our purpose? The second part is anthropogenesis, the progression of the soul as, as we come to the earth and we're in, in a sense reincarnated. She was heavily influenced, I might say, by by Eastern spiritual science. She believed that the soul is reincarnated through an emanation of spirit, which is, is consciousness descending onto the earth in the form of light. And that consciousness 
propels and sustains all of life. So the so, so the, the, there is a progression of souls and eventually souls will evolve, learn, grow, become aware of the union of all, which is very much like Yoga, the oneness of all, which is purely Blavatsky, the oneness of all, the one soul, and they'll return to source. So if you want to think of it like the arc of the hero's journey, the hero goes on a journey and it's called life. And at the, at the end, you return to source and then you come back again. If you want to think of it in a bigger sense, think of another theosophist who was Abner Doubleday. Some say the inventor of baseball. He said, well, I'll here's a game that'll teach them about how life works. He says, you go up to bat, you get three strikes and you're out. If you're not out. All your friends get a chance to bat. And then they... And then after th three outs, then you, you, you're still not out. You go in the field and you watch the others bat. And then you come back and do it again and again and again. And how many times do you get? Like a cat, you get nine lives. So you see, um, Blavatsky was talking about the evolution of the soul. But you also famously spoke about the progression of the soul through time and space. And... First of all, she saw time is like in a whole different way, Me not measurable, that time is really measured by change and, and, and how long things take to change. Now, some physicists are saying exactly the same thing. Time is really how long things take to change. It's a matter of duration. So in science now, they don't talk about T, but they talk about D, they don't talk about time, they talk about duration. So you see, um, how long it takes a glacier to form or an ice age to come and go or a planet to be born and a planet to die. And nothing dies. It simply transforms into another form. So it's a lot to explain Blavatsky. Yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking like, what do you think is responsible for this whole creation? Like when it comes down to it, what do you think is responsible for consciousness? Like we all say God or the source, but can, do, we, do you think as humans, we even have the ability to comprehend what that even is? Well, my teachers always told me it's light, that I, I refer people to an, a little Gnostic, Gnostic gospel called the Sophia of Jesus Christ. And in, right, that, yeah, yeah. And, and in that, Jesus says, I am the light, you are the light, you are the sons and daughters of light. This is not a direct quote. You can read it. It's actually in Greek and Coptic. Uh, it's in three languages. And you, in, in a side-by-side -side comparison, shows it all to say about the same thing. Jesus said, I am light. You are light. You are the sons and daughters of light. We are the descendants of the one source of true light. All is light. You know, so Blavatsky was saying the same thing. Now, Blavatsky got her information by climbing into the Himalayan mountains as a young woman, she was quite adventuresome. And she found um, a spiritual study center. There she found Hindus, found Muslims, she found Christians, she found Buddhists, and they were all working together, preserving the same ancient esoteric books, which were, are said to be the most ancient of all esoteric books there are. And they were written in a language known as Senzar, which was supposedly the language of angels. And they described the, the creation of the world, the purpose of the world and our place in the world. And from that, she wrote the secret doctrine. She wrote the sound, the, uh, the voice of the silence. From that very thing were many other books taken such as uh, the, the Bhagavad Gita, for instance, a Hindu classic. Yeah. These, these books that she found uh, the, the, the book of the golden precepts um, led to the book of design, uh, the, the, uh, the secret doctrine, the, the voice of the silence, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, many, many classic books. And these, and, and, and the ancient book, the golden book of the, the book of the golden precepts is an ancient, ancient, ancient book that has never been in circulation 
and never been in print. Wow, that's interesting. Um, what I wanted to, I also wanted to go over this with you. Um, I listened to a podcast you did on past lives, and I heard you talk about the work of Michael Newt, where he oh. interviewed people that did that, that. You know, he was a past life regressionist or a, hip, a hypno, hypnotic regression. Yep. And uh, from just for my, if you if, if you could get into that, because how do you yep. think Michael Newton's work uh, compares with? Madame Blavatsky's, they're, they're a little bit different because Newton does hypnotic yeah. regressions of people and he says we go to this school in between lives you know, where, you know, it's like a, almost like what people would think of as heaven. I'm just saying in air quotes heaven. Um, because they go to well, the school of learning and then not, not in conflict. conflict. You know, I mean, because she, you know, he, he says that the souls return return of the souls so he wrote he wrote the journey of souls i worked with him on that book he Did wrote, he really? yeah and I knew, oh, that's I knew, amazing I'm so I, knew, I knew michael and um he was just really re, you know he came in with all his notes based on having interviewed all these people that had a memory of living between lives and he, he compared that how, how similar they were and how remarkable they were from any, any, other, any other people he'd ever uh, worked with as a, a, a um, psychologist. And, and we, we asked him when he submitted his book, are you familiar with the work of, of Raymond Moody? And he said, not really, which is really odd because they're very similar. Raymond Moody was originally interested in, in near-death experience. And then he began to understand that there was a, a real case to be made for reincarnation, that people did recall past lives in some cases. Do you know, for instance, that every time they find a new Dalai Lama, and we're currently living with our 14th Dalai Lama, every time that a Dalai Lama dies, they, the, the high lamas search the countryside looking for a child with precise detailed memory of the last Dalai Lama knowing things that only that person would have known. You know, they, they would have to get the child before he was about four or five years old, right? Because they start, they yeah, remember yeah. until they're like three years old, right? Memory yeah, so, past so, lives. So, so they, they haven't had a chance to study and learn, you see. They just, they just know it. They were born knowing this. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so there's a strong case for this. So Michael Newton, he found that, that in, in like in the, the second book, Destiny of Souls, that, that, that souls are born with a sense of destiny. And we keep returning over and over and over trying to complete that destiny, that there's an actual journey of the soul that, that, that is mission oriented, filled with purpose. And, and the, the time we spend between lies is a time of, um, if you will, past life review, uh, meeting with your group soul, um, studying your inner, your light energy body, if you will. That, you know, he describes how how when we're we're dead, all we are is like a, a glimmer of light, and and uh, how that our light changes as we evolve spiritually, and 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 then returning. And um, M Michael Newton's work is really important because they're actual case files. When we had him um, in editorial review, we said, you know, it, it, you know can, you, can you back up these stories? And he said, which one do you want to back up? And he took out a big box and started going through files. Now, he didn't use names in the books, but he, he has the files. These are real people. Yeah, that he, that he, he put under a hypnotic regression, right? Yeah, and, and so he asked the, the question that so few psychotherapists or psychologists will ask. They always ask, go back as far as you can and remember your early life, your, you know, but he didn't say your early life. I think he, he said something quite a little different. He said, go back as far as you can and remember. Now, this is a, 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 tr a trick that's often used in psychotherapy to take somebody back to kind of uncover problems or misconceptions of our early growth development to help us now. So, but, but in his case, these people went back into previous lives or life between lives and they remembered all this. 
because the part of you that's your true self, your inner self, your spirit, if you will, your consciousness knows all of this, has lived through all of this, has complete recall of this and knows where you're going. So this is a personal side side note because I cover alien abduction a lot on this program. And I'm sure you know this, I'm, you, you, that, that hypnotic regression is used for cases yeah. of alleged abduction too. So do you think uh, hypnotic regression provides uh, verification for cases of alleged alien abduction? And if so, I mean, uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I've, I've discussed this a couple of times on the air with Whitney, Whitney Stryber. Whitney, you know, has written a lot about alien abduction. And, and, and I've also myself written a, a couple of books on ghosts and I've been a ghost hunter and I, and I believe that they're out there. But I must now, know what I, knowing what I know about time travel, amend everything I've said before. I think that a lot of cases of alien abduction and ghost stories are really time travel stories. And it's very, very possible that sometimes when we're dealing with alien life or ghosts, we're actually looking at ourselves at another time. We're actually looking at people who are, whose timeline is converging with ours at this time. And we're, we're calling, I mean, think, think of ghosts for a minute. Ghosts, ghosts will have a, a pattern of behavior and they keep going through the same pattern of behavior. And it's like, well, that's odd. It's like, why don't they get in the car and go somewhere? No, they keep haunting a certain place, doing the same thing over and over and over with no interaction with other people as, as though they often can't see them or will not consciously become aware of them. And it's like, they're kind of like, you know, poking out from another time. And I think what happens is that our timeline is converging. So really there's only one timeline, past, present, and future. But we're standing on this conveyor belt at different times based on what we see and where we are. And I think that sometimes people from the past or from the future will collide with our, our, time, our here and now. And just for a moment, we intersect. I, I, back to the aliens, I think it's very likely that what we see as aliens are future versions of ourselves, maybe ourselves, maybe other people who are actually coming from another time and intersecting with us momentarily. Because if you've noticed, if you notice like in ghost stories, aliens will appear and then suddenly disappear. They just disappear. Yeah, you know? they have that, like UFOs too. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like they just they're gone. They're gone. I mean, I, I've, I've seen uh, UFOs a couple of times and it's like, oh, as clear as day, I can see the revolving, you know, windows and I can see them spinning around. And I can see the colors and the light and, and all of a sudden they're gone. They don't seem to be, begin to go somewhere and then get smaller and smaller. They're just gone. Which makes me think that it has to do with someone's consciousness. That because not all people see UFOs, not all people have a alien abduction experiences, not all people see UFOs. Yeah. I think this has this is a big thing to do with the consciousness, which goes back to your idea that it could be time, or at least something yeah. dealing with our consciousness. Yeah. It, it, exactly. For for us to step outside of our our position on the the timeline, um, we have to be in an altered state of consciousness. We almost have that, you know, because we're fixated on this time and place. That's what we see. That's what we experience. That's what we smell and touch and feel and hear. And the same with them. You know, it's like if they intersect, if they're, you know, from the past or the future, they intersect with us momentarily, you know, and it's like, you know, our, our positions on the timeline have intersected. What allowed us to intersect? A shift in consciousness. Now, also, there could be like things that trigger that, like there could be like uh, an energy vortex, a, a portal, if you will. It has something to do with uh, an energy um, um, shift. Yes. Stimulated. And they, they, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, 
I mean, but when you think of the UFO cases, um, if you listen to Commander David Fravers, uh, uh, thing of the Tic Tac is, is, uh, his telling of his Tic Tac story. Oh yeah. He says that at one point it was above him. Then all of a sudden it went 60,000 feet below. Then at one point it was at his, uh, I don't know aviation language, but it was only at a point where he would know. And it already knew that. And it was at that point, which makes me think consciousness That's consciousness. It has some, it has something to do with consciousness. It's not, I mean, that could very well be a living organism. You know, the, the, they say a lot of people say UFOs themselves are living consciousness. And that's what I mean. And maybe they're, they're doing this to trigger our consciousness. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, uh, coincidentally, I'm, sitting here on an island very near where the very first UFO was sighted in, what was it, 19, uh, 19, 1947 over Mount Rainier. Now the man who spotted it, he was traveling to the San Juan Islands where I am now, and he was talking about it. Now there've been a lot of UFO sightings in the San Juan Islands. There's a lot of remnants of Lemuria in the San Juan Islands. Part of the reason I'm here, and 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 he disappeared on his on his lecture through these islands, you know. And it's like um, I think that there's some things that most people just aren't ready to hear. You know, they they just can't process it right. You know, it, yeah, I understand that. It's 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 not something that they they their consciousness can handle at that time, and, and maybe they don't want to believe it, or maybe they don't want to hear it. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean it. I don't mean like a conspiracy cover up. I what I mean is like it would just kind of blow people's minds, and you know that's probably not a bad thing because we spend all our times trying to analyze things with these little pea brain calculators we call our physical brain. And they really can't handle that. Your physical brain only has a memory of what you've inputted into it in during your physical life. It doesn't know anything else. It doesn't have all of the pieces, you know? So that's why I'm so interested in consciousness development because we need to reach out beyond what we know inside our memories. We have yes. that. I, I'm, that's why I'm so glad I had you on the show because you're like touching on every single topic that I mean that I find very important and very frankly very interesting. You know, I think the, that my audience will love this because it's so different. And let me just ask you for the last topic: um, manifesting your new book. Now, when it comes to manifesting, yeah. you know, I can put on a YouTube video at night that says, you know, if you listen to this video at night manifest money but that doesn't work you know i think you have to meditate a lot and really try to manifest i mean and then is it not good to meditate try to manifest uh physical or material goods or what what are your thoughts on man what is your you know well i wrote the book because i i thought that people were using manifestation all wrong first of all they were trying to make money they were trying to get rich, you know, they were trying to, you know, bring love into their life. And um, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but they didn't, they didn't have the whole picture of how it works. And it's like, it is really basically wisdom yoga. It is the highest form of, 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 of creating reality. Now you have to think, you have to think that this world is, um, is in a state of transition. I think everybody would agree to that. Change is all about us. It is a dynamic world. Um, we've come here with not everything fixed in form. Everything is changing. You know, the chair you're sitting on isn't really a chair. It's just a collection of, of uh, you know, atoms that are all kind of conveniently put together there for you to sit on. It's it's eventually going to be something else. Everything here is going to eventually be something else because the nature of things is that it's energy driven. We are all energy beings. And the idea that everything is physical and everything is monetary and everything is, 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 is material 
is a really short-sighted way of understanding how transition and transformation works. Transformation requires certain steps in development. And, and most, most people who, when they try to manifest things, they skip through a lot of steps. They just think, oh, if I wish for it hard enough, I'll get it. <laughs> if I concentrate on it enough, I'll get it. No, no, no. I mean, concentration will not get you there. I know a lot of books on yoga talk about concentration. And it's really sad that we've actually translated Sanskrit to mean concentration because it isn't concentration. It's focused awareness. It's focused consciousness. What does that mean? I mean, like, what, what, are, what are the steps to manifest them? Because this is so, uh, I think this is so crucial to anybody well, trying to develop their consciousness. Well, I mean, let's start off with how people get into a state of meditation. Because you have to start with the state of meditation. Most people don't ever really reach a state of meditation. They'll like stare at something on the wall or they'll recite a mantra or they'll listen to a gong or they'll look at the little things spinning around or they'll stare at a dot on the wall and they're kind of like listening to you and then they're also kind of being quiet and trying to be like listening, but they're never going to really get anywhere because they're really not meditating. They have to, you have to toot. Castaneda said it best, Carlos Castaneda, stop the world, stop the world. You know, you absolutely have to stop thinking. You have to stop thinking. You see, it has nothing to do with concentration. You have to, you have to, you have to put your body to sleep. And your and, mind awake. And, and your mind awake. Now, how are you going to actually manifest anything if your mind's asleep and your body's asleep? So you can't be thinking, you can't be processing words or ideas, you cannot be, you know, thinking of a sound, you know. So one of the techniques I use is like drawing a picture on a blank slate in your mind's eye. You're using your mind's eye like a fine paintbrush and it's drawing a picture of where you wanna go and what you wanna see and what you wanna learn and who you wanna interact with for a learning experience. And so it is too, when you want to create something, if you want to bring events in your life or people in your life or find lost objects, then you have to actually picture them, picture them. And you picture them by drawing carefully. And then you tuck that into the back of your mind. And then you take some time to prepare yourself to leave the body. So I combine it with a step from hypnosis, which is self-hypnosis which is actually a post-hypnotic suggestion. When you bring that image back from the back of your consciousness, when you bring it back, it becomes like a map. What you've drawn on your clear blank slate in your, before your mind's eye becomes a perfect map to take you where you wanna go. And it will, it will if you've conditioned yourself to go. But to do that, you have to reach an inner harmony. This is where the first part of yoga can't be glossed over. I, I tried so hard in my early life to gloss over it. Okay, it isn't all about the postures. It is about getting yourself harmonically aligned. You, your body has to become aligned with your inner self, your consciousness, just the spirit that dwells within you. You have to convince your mind to allow your consciousness to leave. Because the spirit inside you, believe me, wants to lead, wants to explore, wants to grow, wants the insight that it can only get outside the here and now. That's pretty amazing. Like, I, I've never thought of it that way. I think a lot of people are focused, like you said, um, on concentrating, and they're not focused on, I, I've never heard that theory before of drawing a picture and 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 in in your mind's eye, and then also achieving inner harmony. So you're at a state of peace when you're trying to manifest this. You can't have any uh, 
corruption or not corruption, but uh, any distractions that are any thoughts that are weighing down on your head, you know, like uh, bills, uh, work issues, uh, fights with with, uh, spouses or, you know, girlfriend or kids, or you have to find a way to tune all that out, right? Exactly, because you're more than that. You're much more than that. That's just one aspect of your life. And, and, and it, it's, a, it's, it's a holistic picture of who you are. The holistic picture of who you are requires uh, harmonic tranquility. So there must be an inner peace between the outer you and the inner you. It's amazing. That's amazing. Um, well, uh, do you want to tell people how they can uh, find your work? Um, I, don't, I, I don't have any other questions. Um, and do, 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 and uh, how can they, how, do you want to tell people how can they can find your books and stuff? And, oh, and- sure. Uh, well, I don't know how people get to bookstores anymore. But, you know, you can always find things online with uh, Amazon.com. And uh, you can go to Barnes & Noble online. Some of the bookstores are open. The ones that aren't fully open, you, they'll take an order and you can drive by and they'll hand it to you. <laughs> they, they are they are ordering books for people. Bookstores have actually, through all of this pandemic period we've gone through, have been very good at actually shopping and at doing cur- curbside service or mailing out books. It's it's remarkable. So don't forget your bookstores because we're going to need them. So yeah, I have some upcoming things. If we didn't cover anything people want answered, uh, I will be, let's see, next Saturday, I'll be on Night Dreams. Night Dreams uh, Talk Radio with Gary Anderson, a night show. And then, um, you know, then I'm going to be on Destiny, a, a podcast next uh, next Tuesday with uh, Cliff Dunning. So I, I try to make myself available. And you can, if you, if, you, uh, if you can, every once in a while, send me a link when you're going to be on and I'll send it out to my audience. Like, and okay. you know, and I'll share it that way because you don't have a website. You should be right right no. now. Also, like, um, no. if you if you send me your links of what shows you'll be on, I'll be more than happy to create a post on YouTube and promote someone else's podcast and tell them where you'll be on because I think you have amazing information. I I really I really I'm really digging what you're saying. I really am, and I love it. And it's just like you we we uncovered so much amazing stuff today. It was, it was a real, real treat for me. Thank you. And I love questions. So if people have questions, they can go to my Facebook. It's Facebook slash V Brashler, or they can find my uh, find me on Amazon's um, author uh, webpage, my author bio page. So I, I try to make myself available because I think the, the questions are bigger than the answers. The questions open us up to the potential. Yes, exactly. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to do it again in the future. Thank you. I, I, this was an honor, really. Um, all right. Have a good night. Thanks for having me. Take care. Have a good